Please remain standing as we hear from God's Word. This passage is on page 578 of the Bibles next to you from Isaiah chapter 30. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me move some microphones. That can just stay there. That's fine. How are we? You doing all right? It's cold out, man. Stinks. I don't like it. I saw an increase in Starbucks cups this morning, though. I will say that. The, the pumpkin spice lattes are back. They've been back, but now they're, they're all the way back. But um, anyways, I'm Cam. I'm really excited for this morning. And uh, a couple of years ago, I, was, uh, I, I used to work for this organization called Athletes in Action. My wife still works for them. Uh, but I was speaking at this Athletes in Action kind of function, and um, anyways, I, I was speaking at it, and then right after, we went to go play some golf, uh, just a couple people, you know, which is great golf. I could just preach a whole sermon on how golf and the kingdom of God are side by side, so don't judge me when I'm out there. I'm connecting with the Lord and trying to understand his upside-down kingdom in Jesus' name. Okay, but I'm out there. We're, we're playing golf, and how, how many of you know when you, when you play golf, like, it's, it's like, a, it's just you and nature. It's the only time I really like nature, okay, when it's man made that's bad probably but anyways i'm out there you know we like to just be out there by yourself but but sometimes you get uh, there's a backlog and a bunch of people kind of pull up on you and there's a bunch of anytime you have like four people it's like multiplied by like a thousand and on the golf course if there's four people it feels like there's four thousand people watching you and it's terrible well anyways i, I was up there and i was about to tee off and uh, I, I looked behind me and there's just this pack of people behind me and uh, I had just spoken on, uh, the, the, the title of my talk was Audience of One, you know? Uh, I didn't think I'd have to, like, immediately apply what I just said, like, but anyways, there's this pack of people, and, and in the pack is our Athletes in Action president, okay, which is great. All people are equal in God's eyes, and all celebrity is local, so don't judge me, but I felt a little bit more nervous because he was there, okay? I can feel the judgment when I say that. Are we, we're just going to pretend, like, okay, that's fine. Anyways, I go up to tee off, and, and I, I kid you not, there's an S word that I do not say on the golf course, but I'll say it in front of you guys, I, I just shanked, okay? I just straight, I shanked, I hit it. And, it, and there's, there's shanks that are funny, and then there's shanks that are dangerous, okay? And this one was dangerous. I don't know how I did it. 
He was about directly to my left, and somehow I hit it backwards, and it went about three feet above the president's head, okay? It's, it was terrible. Like, it wasn't even like, oh, Cam, that was hilarious shank, bro. I kid you, and I'm not even being dramatic. Like, I'm not even like, let me, this would really hype the story up. I literally almost hurt our presidents of the organization, okay? It was really bad. I just wanted to shrivel up, get into my cart, and, and be driven home, okay? That's really what I was just like, partner, just take me back to the clubhouse, you know? I got back, and like some people are asking me, like, Cam, how'd it go? I'm like, not good, man. Not good. Like, you didn't shoot good? Like, no, it was actually dangerous. It got, it got out of hand out there. And, and what, what happens, you know? What, why, why did I feel that way? Because pressure, you know? <laughs> and golf is an annoying sport, because any other time you start to try hard in other sports, you know, it works out for your favor. But golf, you start to feel that pressure, and your knees start to get a little weak, and your arms start to get a little heavy and your palms are sweaty, you know? Some of you really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm not gonna go anymore, but you know. But you feel that pressure. And what pressure does is it kind of reveals, like on the range, you know, I was feeling real good, but I start to feel a little pressure and every little crack of my golf swing came all the way out, you know? Tim Keller, he, he uses this illustration. He says our lives are a lot like bridges that have a bunch of cracks in them. And you don't really notice the cracks most of the time. They're there, they're underneath the surface, and maybe some little scooters and bikes go over the bridge and nothing, you don't really notice the crack, but then there's this big truck that comes over the bridge that's more weight and more pressure than you've ever felt on that bridge. And the cracks, what happens, they begin to reveal themselves. They begin to show more and more and more. Pressure ends up revealing what's underneath the surface. Pressure is actually a theme all through the scriptures. The book of Revelation has this word, philipsis, which really just means the great pressure. Pressure. Pressure exposes those cracks in us. The ones that have been underneath the surface, maybe for a really long time, but pressure comes. You know what I mean by pressure, the weight of life, the pressure around hardships or struggle. And it reveals those cracks. And it seems like in a moment, those cracks, they, 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 can, they can make it feel like your entire life is falling down. But the amazing thing about God is that what he, how he sees our cracks is not as with condemnation or with fear or shame, but they are invitational to us. Every time we sense or are aware of those cracks, there's an invitation to us. And that's what we see this morning is this beautiful breathtaking, scandalous altogether invitation. It's backwards, it's upside down, it does not make sense to us, this invitation that we get. It runs contrary to like everything that's in us. And so I'm going to pray in a moment because we literally do not have the willpower to understand the invitation unless the Holy Spirit helps us. And so I'm going to pray, it's like the fifth time we've prayed this morning. We're prayed up in here, you know, we're starting with prayer, middle prayer, third prayer, fourth prayer. But can you pray again with me? Will you flatter me for a moment? God, I have really nothing new to say this morning. Nothing that hasn't already been said, nothing that we haven't already heard. And some of us are well aware of our cracks this morning. And so, Spirit of God, we ask that you would open our ears and our eyes to see the upside down, backwards invitation that you have for us. Reorient our hearts this morning around your voice. I do just pray that we would sense 
your voice speaking to us this morning. You are a speaking God. You delivered us from mute idols and saved us onto a speaking God. And so we ask that you would speak this morning. Amen. Amen. So great pressure. That's where the people of Judah, that's where they find themselves, the kingdom that Isaiah is referring to. That's what they're feeling. The Assyrian Empire, they've, they've surrounded Judah. They feel the pressure. And in that moment of great pressure, what they decide to do is to not trust God, but to protect themselves from this Assyrian Empire. And the way that they do that is by forming an alliance with Egypt. And if you follow the biblical story, the biblical narrative, you would, you would know the audacity of that partnership. It could not be further from the intentions or the heart of God. I mean, after all, it's the same Egypt that God had just liberated these people from in the first place. I mean, think about it. Really, what Judah is, Judah is going back to their old slave master to ensure her freedom, which is what we do like all the time, by the way. Something in our life that causes us pain. We, we know it does. We know it's not helpful. And yet there we find ourselves once again partnered with Egypt. Because what pressure does is pressure usually leads us to something that's at least familiar. At least I know what it is. It's, at least it's a little bit controllable. I digress. That's what Isaiah speaks in. He speaks into this moment, verses 12 through 14. He says this. Because you have rejected this message... And relied on oppression and depended on deceit. He said, this sin will come for you. Like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. And so what Isaiah is doing here is he's highlighting to us our own native ideas and what they're really worth, right? He he paints this picture for us. He says, says they're like these high walls. They seem really, really solid. They might protect us for a little bit, but then these cracks, they start to form. And eventually the whole thing caves in suddenly in an instant because it can't hold you. It's not sustainable, that our own ways, they're like this broken potter's vessel, this, 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 this vase that in a moment is smashed to smithereens. It says, both of these examples, Isaiah is saying they're too brittle. They're too delicate to stand up to the pounding and the pressure that life inevitably inflicts on us. And so obviously the smart thing that he's saying to do is don't hide behind those walls or put your precious oil in that jar. Isaiah is saying to us that our human mechanisms, our schemes, our plots, our ideas, they are not enough to withhold and withstand the pressure of life. But the thing about walls and jars is that they work for a little bit until they don't work anymore. I mean, so many of us, we we, we build our lives in this jar of safety that if we can just construct a life that that will make pain and suffering impossible for us, and it works until it doesn't. Because you know you can't form a life, no matter how hard you try, that is immune from the suffering and hardships of life. You know that. 
Some of you, you're figuring that out right now. Some of us, we have figured that out. Some of us, we hide behind this wall of perception. If I can just present myself to be who people think I should be, if I can just look like I have my life in order to be happy or spiritual or whatever it might look like for you, and we hide behind these walls, and it works for a little while until that fake praise from people isn't enough for you, until that person that you've been longing for their approval doesn't care as much about you as you think they do, (laughs) or even worse, until you find out that person is disappointed in you or upset in you, and then all of a sudden you don't know who you are. And it's been cracking for a while, but then eventually that whole wall comes smashing down. Some of us, we hide behind the wall of our own competency, our own skills, our own abilities, If I can just be really good at what I'm doing, if I can just be impressive enough, perform enough, be smart enough, have a good enough plan, and it works until it doesn't, until you're not enough, until inevitably you do fail, until inevitably your own plans and your own ideas that you thought were so great, they don't go the way that you thought they would, until you realize the lack of control that you actually have on your life. It works. For a little bit, that's how walls work. That's how jars work. They work until they don't work, until we find the cracks in them. And that's so much of where we find life, is right there with that question. What do we do then with the cracks? What do we do when we're actually under the pressure, when we find the cracks in our own souls and in our own lives, the lives that we are constructing? There's a couple things we do, right? There's a tendency to just hide the cracks, you know? put a band-aid on something that needs a far deeper repair, and you just say, uh, no cracks here. <laughs> We're good. No cracks. How are you camp? Fine. Doing great, man. Doing so, so good. No cracks here. Not up in this wall. Not up in this jar. I'm good. And we can pretend. Other ways is we, we, we charge ourselves up into some kind of like fight reaction, or we fall back into a flight reaction, and we numb out. But there's this other invitation that's entirely different that the Lord has for us. That's what Isaiah says. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. I mean, think about that. He's saying in moments of pressure, the invitation for you, salvation in the way of repentance and rest, strength for you, in the way of quietness and trust. And so let's just talk about that just, just for a moment. The word he uses here is repentance. In the ESV and the NLT, they'll use a different word. They'll use the word returning. And, and it's kind of because there's no other, this, this word actually isn't used anywhere else in the Old Testament. Okay? This is like the only time it's ever used. And it has like an entirely different feel than the normal word repentance. It has a totally different feel to it. It's why it's paired with the word rest here. Um, because it's, it's not necessarily like charging up, like I repent in Jesus' name, okay? But it's actually, the better translation is like backsliding, <laughs> which we usually use in a negative term, like backsliding into your old life, you know? But that's really what it is. It's like that you've, you've returned, like you've fallen back into God. <laughs> that things have, have, have gone so poorly that where you just end up is you just end up back in the Father's presence. I can't help but think of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, who Kathy Lorzel says, 
repentance began in his belly. Well, let me explain that, okay? If you know the story, okay, there's, a, there's this dad. Jesus is giving us this incredible image of, of who the father is. And he says there's this dad and he has two kids. One is an older son. The other is the younger son. The younger son is charged up, excited about life, thrilled, ready to go, trying to do things on his own. He, he wanders off on his own and basically blows it entirely, gives, gets his father's inheritance just a little bit early and goes and spends it recklessly. And this is usually at the point in the story when I'm like, where, where preachers will stand up and like, there's this moment where it says that he came to himself and he realized that the life with God is better than life without God, you know, or whatever, you know, that, that was my, you know, you've heard those sermons, you know. The problem is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus says. Just, just hear his intentions really quick. And when he came to his senses, this is Jesus talking about the younger son. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. <laughs> so just, just think about that for a second. He's not thinking like, man, I got to get back. Dad is so great. I got to get back to dad. He's not thinking like, oh, I'm so sinful. I really blew it. I got to get back to dad. <laughs> He's like, I'm hungry. I got to get back to dad, you know? Like he's thinking, like I've tried. I tried life. I tried to do this thing on my own. It didn't work out. The hired, the hired people, they have life better than me. I might as well go back there, you know? What are his intentions? He wanders back to dad's house. He doesn't come with these holy intentions to honor dad with the honor that he was due. But he's like, it's got to be better there. I'm hurting. I'm hungry. I'm hopeless. I mean, his intentions are, are, are anything but noble, you know? But they're honest. And so we can even sense in this word that Isaiah chooses to use. He says, you, you don't have to have it figured out. Like, you don't have to know why or how or the keys to your salvation, to your healing, your wholeness, to deliverance. But, but, but here's what he's saying. My walls are not working. My jars are not working. They're broken. And throwing yourself onto Jesus, returning to him once again. Jack Miller, he used to say that's what repentance really is. It's just throwing ourselves once again at the feet of Jesus. It's to not over-formalize this repentance thing, but it's as simple as throwing yourself and saying, I need you again. Even Matthew 11, which is a verse that we hear all the time. You just need to hear it with fresh ears probably this morning. I mean, just, just, I mean, just imagine Jesus standing before the crowd, standing before us today saying, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I mean, what's the qualification there? What's the qualification? Tired, worn out, weary, burdened, returning to Jesus again. And what does that communicate to us about the willingness of God? <laughs> that, that even our like mediocre, self-interested motivations, he is waiting, longing to bring you rest, to be there with open arms receiving you once again. I'm, I'm going to go in on that in just a moment, okay? But we got, we got more passage before I can fully go ham there. That's what he says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, and then he says this, and in quietness and trust is your strength. Strength or power is a theme all through Old Testament and New, especially in the Psalms. And really what it highlights is our need for strength. 
And our need for strength really, really just mostly reveals that kind of constant, always awareness of our own weakness. However, the way to strength here is like totally counterintuitive to what we would normally think. I mean, I'm thinking, let's go, like, let's get strong. I'm weak, but I'm about to, I'm, let's go, you know, like, let's strong. But then he says this, in quietness and trust is your strength. He's saying, if you feel weak and afraid, here's the way forward. Real strength is in quiet and trust. And I don't know how you read that. Some of you, you read that, you're like, ah, oh, quiet, trust. Amen. Like, you just feel like you drank some, some cold water. Let me say this, not so for me, okay? Quiet stresses me out. It just fully, like I like to wake up in the morning and immediately put my AirPods in and just blast music, okay? Quiet. If there's one thing I don't trust, it's the quiet, okay? Like I, I don't like the quiet, okay? Most times when I'm at home, there's music playing. Like it's, it's uncomfortable for me to be quiet, okay? I don't know if you've heard of these. It was, it was one of the first kind of spiritual phrases I heard when I became a Christian, but people would talk about quiet times, you know? I don't know if you've heard of those. Oh, uh, that was a punishment for me as a child, okay? So they were like, Cam, you just got to get your quiet time. Like, oh, God is so, this is hard to follow Jesus with qu- qu- quiet times. Like, that's terrible to me, okay? Some of you love your quiet times. You wake up in the morning, you sip a nice cold or hot cup of coffee, and you just breathe in the quiet. Let me say, I, that, is, that is miserable to me. It's really, really hard for me, okay? If I can just be honest. But the quiet that Isaiah is referring to here is not so much about a personality, at least I hope not. Maybe I'm projecting you know, are you guys, with, are we with me this morning? Did, I, did we go too hard with the broken walls? Are we just thinking about our broken walls? Are we here? Man, you talk about quiet, you guys, <laughs> stressing me out. Sheesh. But Isaiah, Isaiah's talking about this inner quiet in your soul. This inner quiet that, 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 that is almost entirely necessary for us to connect with God. Most of the things that make it hard for us to connect with God is our hearts and our minds are so busy. They're so noisy. And I'm just talking about your schedule, but just like what's going on in your heart. I've said this a bunch, but, but one, of the, one of the best pictures of, that, I, that I've heard of hearing God's actual still small voice is much like that of like a, a calm, uh, calm pond or a river, not a river, like a, like a pond or a lake, you know? Like when, there's, when, there's, when it's just still, and if you were to throw a pebble in that lake, you can see every ripple that flows from that thing. It's quiet, it's calm, it's still. But if there's just, just this like rushing river that's like ripping through, and I were to throw a pebble in there, you wouldn't see any of its effects. It's loud, it's noisy. Saints of old have said that is, that is what hearing the voice of God is like. Connecting with God, it must come in the quiet. It must it's where we cultivate this non-anxious presence and we learn to hear his voice. It's where you hear the voice calling you beloved and learn to trust that voice above any other voice. And it's in the quiet, a quiet life, a quiet heart that we learn to trust God, which is the center of much of our faith and walk with Jesus. Trust. Brennan Manning has this book called Ruthless Trust that's really, really good. But he starts his entire book with this remark that he heard from his spiritual director, who he's trying to get some insights from, he's trying to get some information on how to be better with people, trying to figure out some, like, you know, some good positive ways to influence his life. And he said, the spiritual director said this, Brennan, you don't need any more insights into the faith. 
You've got enough insights to last you 300 years. The most urgent need in your life is to trust what you've already received. Isn't that true? I mean, we love insights. I love insights. We're always, I mean, we're like, what's the latest insight? What's the latest thing that we can figure out to to maximize my life, my spiritual life for sure, everything else, more insights. But following Jesus is not just about growing in information or insights, but it's trusting those things to be actually true. The whole spiritual life is really about that. It's about trust. It's about actually trusting the God that we say that we believe in. It's not just adhering to doctrine or saying the right things or believing the right things with our minds, but it's actually trusting them in the guts of your soul. I often think about John 6, the disciples, Jesus is ministry starting to move. The disciples are kind of trying to figure some things out, and they come with a really good question to Jesus. Like, Jesus, what are the works of God? You know, they thought, they thought that was like spiritual kudos, you know? They're like, this, this will really make him like us, you know? Jesus, what are the works of God? You know, that was a good one. But Jesus, he looks at them, he says, this is the works of God. Believe in the one whom he sent. How frustrating is that? <laughs> it's like, tell us what to do. Just trust me. That's what we want to do. There's a story of this guy who, who, who went to, to, to learn and, and, and be underneath the leadership of, of Mother Teresa for a season. And he actually came up to Mother Teresa and he said, hey, I, I, I really want you to pray for me. And she said, what would you like me to pray for? And he, like me, would, came with a great prayer request. He said, hey, I, I would love for you to just pray for clarity. I feel really confused in my life. And he said, ah, she said, I'm not going to pray for that. So I'm not going to pray for clarity. Because if you want clarity so bad, what you need prayer for is trust. That'll get you. That'll get my heart. How much we want clarity around things. I just want to know what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, the entire, like, 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 think about the disciples from the beginning. The entire invitation from start to finish. The first words to Peter and the last words to Peter. Follow me. What's the call of being a Jesus follower? Follow him. Trust him day by day, step after step, trusting the way of your rabbi, the way of your good teacher, the way of your good shepherd, trusting him. It's the invitation and it's the end goal. It's not just the means to an end. We don't just like trust God so that we can get something or, 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 or accomplish and become all that he made me to be, but it is the goal. It is the prize. Getting to trust Jesus is what sets us free from everything else in this world. And it's also not some kind of spiritual bypass, you know? That, word, that phrase just kind of rings weird in our ears sometimes, too. Like it's like us ignoring reality. Like things are hard right now. I've got to trust God. That's all I'm doing, you know? That's not what it is. It's actually to, but it's actually to relax deeper into the real reality. That God is worthy of our trust. It's what he's, it, it, and, it's, and it's saying, this is where you find your strength, <laughs> I mean, that's what he's doing here. He's he's comparing these two ways of life, two types of strength. You can build walls and look for strength there. You can build jars and look look for strength for there. Or even at the end, he says, I'm inviting you to these things, but you had none of it. You said, no, we're going to flee on horses. We're going to go our own ways. We're going to trust my own will, my own desires. I'm going to trust what I think is best for me. Both incite this frantic frantic activism, but Isaiah is saying that quiet trust is the way to strength. 
and everything else is weakness. It may be a projection of strength, but ultimately it's weakness. And your willpower, it'll work until it doesn't work anymore. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians. Paul says this, we, we now have this light shining in our hearts. I mean, love when the Bible connects. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this treasure. He says, this makes it clear that our power is not from ourselves, but from God. I mean, isn't that what we are? What are we more than just some broken jars with cracks all through them? And and, and so much of our life is trying to manage our cracks or fix our cracks. But he's saying the cracks are where the power is found. Seeing your own insecurity and instability, not as something to cover up or hide from or run from, but seeing it as the invitation that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. That's always how he works. I mean, even this week, man, I'm just so aware of my own cracks. And I have everything in me wants to rev up, fix it, figure it out. Or numb out and just like watch a bunch of Netflix, if I'm honest. That's, that's my kind of thing that I'd like to do. But, he's, but it's an invitation once again to say, Cam, you don't have the power. You can't do this on your own. But those cracks are, 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 the, are the manifestation, the invitation for God's power. But for most of us, that's not what we do with our cracks. Most of us do what Judah did. That's what it says. Judah has this invitation to return to God again. But then it says, once again, they chose their own resources. They chose their own way, their own alliances, their own stuff. And you'd think the passage would just end there with like a luminous dot, dot, dot or something. But it doesn't. (laughs) It ends with, and yet. I'm going to say that's the Old Testament, but God, you know. And yet, and yet the Lord, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice and blessed are those who wait for him. And you can't help but go back to Luke 15, right? You can't. I got to. I have to. I have to. (laughs) I mean, that kid, he, he runs back on his, I mean, he's just like, yeah, dad, I need something. And he wanders back. He's trusted his own way. He's trusted his own control, his own freedom. And he blows it. And as he's wandering back, the scriptures say that while he was a long way off, the father sees him. The Lord, he waits and he longs to be gracious to him. He's waited day after day, rocking his chair, looking on a distance, seeing glimpses of people walking by, thinking, is that him? Maybe. No, not today. Day after day. Until one day he sees him come. He's been waiting. He's been longing. And the son starts to make his way back. He's been practicing his speech for a couple of days. And you'd think the father would just sit back in the chair and say, all right, he better have something good, you know? You better tell me why. I'd love for him to do some real introspection here and see why his ways did not work and why my ways are better. But what does he do? He rises up to show compassion to this son. 
He stands up and, and, and he breaks every social norm capable. Like, right? He, he hikes up his little toga. I don't know what they called it. I had a dress in here and I realized that's probably not it. But he hikes it up. He take, kicks off his shoes. He lets his feet touch the dirt. He gets into the ground and he runs after the sun. Step by step by step. He doesn't just yell from a distance. Hey, son. Glad you're home. Come on in. But he rises up. That's what the passage says, to show his compassion, to show his love, to show what, what, what his heart is for him. His mediocre intentions <laughs> wanders back and the dad runs to him. It's what he does. I mean, can you sense the father's heart for you this morning? He's not like reluctant or barely willing or has a smug grin with his arms crossed thinking, let's see if he figures it out this time. But it's an audacious sprint, not just to tell you, but to show you his compassion, to show you what fuels him, his love for you, his grace for you. And ultimately, that's what Isaiah is doing here. He's laying out two ways of life. A way of your own self-reliance, proving yourself, showing the world who you are, protecting yourself, keeping yourself away from harm, and the other way of grace. See, the beautiful thing about this story is it's not even, it's not even the end. It's a new beginning. Everything that he's wanting to invite us into is meant to fuel from this place. And that's what it says at the end. It says, blessed are those who wait on him. I mean, have you ever had a moment where, where, where I mean, he's, re, he's reorienting everything. He, he's not just saying like, I mean, just think about your own plans for a second. Think about how many plans you make and then you just kind of pray God's blessing on it, you know? Think about your own life, your own dreams, your own ambitions, where you're going in life. Has that come from you waiting before the Lord and him speaking to you and giving you vision and you, and you living underneath his grace, saying, I'm a loved child of God, and I'm listening to the Spirit as he invites me deeper into his mission and his plan? Or is it you just doing your own thing all the way and then saying, hey God, would you help me here? Would you help me there? He reorients everything. And so you can live these two different ways. Life on your own. Life on your own resources. Life by your flesh. Or there's this other way. Living underneath the freedom and the love and the grace of God. And for some of you, self-reliance is, I don't even blame you. We don't blame, it's, it's been a way that you've had to protect yourself. It's been a way that you've, you, you've, you've had to provide for yourself because other people, you never felt safe. So the only way you ever could was to live a life of self-reliance, to live a life where I, nobody else is going to do it. I'm going to do it by myself. I feel like he wants to say to you this morning, he, he's safe. He's safe to be with. And he wants to be all for you that you can't be for yourself. And he wants to love you with a love that you've never experienced. And he wants to shower you with a grace that you don't know. He's safe. He's so safe. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He wants to rise up and show us his compassion. So let's pray together and then we'll continue on in worship. Father, there's, there's, there's a lot of us in here who, who this is about as far from how we see you as possible. Some of us, we see you through just our own lens of shame, 
or guilt or fear. And to be honest, even right now, we don't need just somebody else saying, God loves you. Because we know we've heard that. But we need healing. We need you to heal the way that we see you. We need you to heal the way that we relate to you. Especially those who've had to do this as a, as a way of protecting themselves. I just pray healing today, Lord. Would they sense your freedom? Would they sense your grace? Would you shine your face upon them this morning? Our efforts are so fickle. But you're so good to us. You're so worthy of our trust. So heal us, Lord. Amen. Amen.